Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new Marvel film, which is Ant-Man and the Wasp, starring Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Teekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome in to episode 160 of Film Tank. Alex Teekman here with you, along with Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Hey! Toussaint, just acting like the... Uh... I don't even know. That was he kind of was like the ringleader at a circus. I, I don't so I don't know exactly what that was. All yeah. he was missing was a top hat and a coat. Yeah. This is the greatest show. <laughs> Hire me, Oscars. <laughs> you know what movie uh, our former host uh, Kenny has been telling me about randomly uh, that I keep hearing from Nick too that I should really see is the Greatest Showman. Mm. So, yeah. It's very good popcorn entertainment. Mm-hmm. I own it. I I mean, I love musicals. So yeah, uh, any original musical because that's all we get these days are remakes or adaptations. So mm-hmm. any original musical in Hollywood, like with Hollywood budget, is honestly like I don't remember the last one. Uh, maybe Moulin Rouge. I forgot to tell you during our yeah. Sicario episode, but when I went to go see Sicario, I saw the trailer for A Star Is Born Again. And I was like, what the fuck is this shit? And then I remember and I watched it with you guys. Yeah. I forgot about it that quickly. That's a film that's been in production for a long time, too, and that's what they ended up with. Hey, what? I just want to look at you. God. People say they don't like me when I sing my own songs they just like the way I okay look. lady gaga get yeah the i'm fuck just like wait what does that mean oh. they like you singing but they don't like like they, what they, they no don't one like, listen to fucking lyrics they, when they don't they... like the way you look well i think you look gorgeous like that's the problem about hollywood yeah. and those and two... someone behind him goes me too <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem with hollywood and particularly those two performers in that story is that that whole thing just doesn't make sense. So, nope. Whatever. Yep. Oh, boy. True that. Okay. And the fact that. that it's skewing more towards the Streisand, uh, Chris, Christopher Christopherson mm-hmm. version rather than the Hollywood version, because mm-hmm. that's more of the uh, singer and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, I think that's a bad route. They could, they could have did something with modern day Hollywood, I think. They think it's going to be a huge hit. They sure do. We'll see. Yep. Lord. So. Today, though, talking about the 20th entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Does that include the Incredible Hulk? Yeah. Okay. Just curious. Which is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. The film, which is directed, again, by Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed. Who got pretty much forced into the first one when they fired Edgar Wright. Yeah. I gotta say, though, I forgot who Peyton Reed was. I mean, I started looking at his filmography. Bring it on. He's interesting. Is he? I think so. What? What has he done? Bring it on. Bring it on. Okay. Yes, man. Say what you will. Okay. Okay. Fine. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, man. man. Um, but say what you want. But bring it on knows what it was mm-hmm. when that came out. And another one he did, Down With Love, was actually a pretty original uh, movie musical with two of the biggest leads at that time because he had just come off of uh, Ewan McGregor. Off of Moulin Rouge and uh, Renee Zellweger from Chicago. Oh yeah, like that, like that's that mm-hmm. was crazy. And from what I understand, because I haven't seen it since then, it actually still holds up as a pretty good movie. The only thing I'll say about Peyton Reed coming back for the sequel, a props to Marvel for actually doing that because he yeah. seemed like they just tried to find anybody who would do whatever the fuck they wanted once they fired Edgar Wright from Ant Man. Um, but I, I mean. I don't know how much he really had his hands on this film, but 
in this one or in the yeah, last one? In this one. This one, I kind of thought that he got a slightly more breathing room. I hope so. Here's because, the thing. I, I think mean, the first one was what it was because, yes, they hired him, you know, for hire, so to speak, mm-hmm. because of the Edgar Wright fiasco. And I genuinely think that as a director coming into something like that, you know, even a Ron Howard, like you're not going to do a You've got your whole, hands tied behind your back. Yeah, you're not going to yeah. do a whole lot with it. Mm-hmm. But I think two things happened since then, which is that Civil War happened, not the American War, uh, Civil War that Alex Jones predicted. Yep. But uh, Marvel. Where were Civil you during War. that? Um, I was late. I um, I fell asleep. Um, actually, it was kind of uncomfortable because I was just masturbating mm-hmm. when my alarm went off. I set up my phone, American Civil War, mm-hmm. be there at you know noon. Yeah. Uh, but nope, I just had my hand on my cock yeah. like a stupid liberal. Yeah. And I'm surprised um, you didn't have your musket ready. Just gonna go out and just what plow do you think down. I was shoving my cock into? Wow, um, I was in Muskoda uh, visiting my mom and just like watching some movies. And he's like, "In Muskoda." At first, I thought because I gave a real answer, you were gonna give a joking answer. <laughs> no. So I'm just glad that we're continuing this trend. Again. Yep, that's yep. And also, too, Tucson didn't continue on with the musket fucking, so that's great. Yep, I I don't have a musket to fuck. I don't do that. <laughs> I'm just going to put that in the intro by itself. <laughs> yeah, just wow. that line. Wow, thanks. Well, you guess what by. you're getting for Christmas. Oh, don't laugh at the Second Amendment. <laughs> what the fuck? He's just going to get musket and a big bottle of lube. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. You're just getting the musket. What uh, what are we what are we talking about today, your Alex? Anus. <laughs> We're talking about Ant-Man. Did you say your anus? No, I said your oh. anus. Okay. Also your anus. I just didn't know if you were giving him directions. <laughs> I'm just mortified. <laughs> That's because it takes you three hours to drink oh. one beer. You oh. leave me alone. <laughs> I will. I didn't know we were going to go with that. It takes you three hours comment, but that's all right. <laughs> hey, I wasn't going there. Hey. I haven't timed him. <laughs> oh, my God. Alex, just look into the podcast. She sounds never coming back. <laughs> or never coming. Oh, my <laughs> God. Guys. What movie are we talking about this week? We are... Bring it on! <laughs> we are talking Jesus about... Christ! We are talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> yes, we are. The film, uh, as I already mentioned, directed by Peyton Reed. Oh. Let me get off on a little tangent there. Something in my eye. <laughs> oh, wait. It's your beautiful body, too. Oh, my God. Okay, starring who? Starring Paul Rudd returning as Scott Lang. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his third Marvel film. Why are you saying, mm-hmm, like you were A, interested, or B, don't know the answer? <laughs> the film also stars... Leave me alone, you bully! Anyway. <laughs> the film also stars Evangeline Lilly, uh, also returning near Michael Pena, and Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. And also, too, here we have Lawrence Fishburne, yep. Michelle Pfeiffer, Randall Park, Abby Ryder Fortson playing Cassie, who is Paul Rudd's daughter in Walton the film. Goggins. I thank you for taking my thunder. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Hannah John Kamen, who uh, Kenny would not stop talking about how hot he thought she was when we left the theater. Yeah, that was uh, like Toussaint's Charlie Theron's Bay. I actually thought it was more like a uh, like the Vin Diesel moment where he's doing the interview. <laughs> Because he's just like, yeah. man, she's so exotic. Those yeah. eyebrows. I'm just like, Ugh. yeah. Ugh. <laughs> and also, Great. too. Now you, Kenny's going to know that you called him racist. He's not a racist. He just likes people of different ethnicity. <laughs> he likes to fetish. And he calls them exotic. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> also, too, uh, T.I. here. Yeah. Uh, he's been in two. He's been in two Marvel films now. Isn't that crazy? Wait, what are you saying? It's like T.I. T.I. like the rapper? Yes, the yeah. rapper. What is he? He played uh, one of the guys who works with Michael Pena. Yeah, he's the, the black guy. The black guy. There's yeah. the black guy? that. Yeah. It's in the security being... business. Ex-con. I know the Russian dude. Yeah, there's a Russian dude. and So then... the other guy is black. Yeah, that's T.I. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's Tip. I know. Also, that's too, weird. Bobby Cannavale and Judy Greer just completely wasted in this film. But Bobby Cannavale was making the most of it. He's I mean, I one. guess, but he's like less in this film than the first one, which is weird. And also, too, even though it was ruined earlier, Walton Goggins 
playing the character of Sonny Birch, who actually apparently is in the comics, which is interesting. Hmm. And uh, two, he is just fucking stealing the show in this film, yeah. as he usually does. Yeah. I fucking knew it. He's pretty much playing that character here, yeah. which is great. So, in this film, as Scott Lang balances being both a superhero and a father... Hope Van Dien and so Dr. Hank Pym present an urgent new mission that finds the Ant-Man fighting alongside the Wasp to uncover secrets from their past. I like how this uh, makes it seem like Hank Pym and, and Hope Van Dien come to Ant-Man where it's not really like that, but that's okay. Yeah. So, who would like to start us off talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp? I feel like Tucson has been trying to get us to talk about the film the entire episode, so maybe he should start us off. Yeah, I'll do that. All right. Yeah. Um, I did not particularly enjoy the first Ant-Man film. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very lukewarm. I thought it was just uh, bits and pieces. dense? No. I thought that it was basically just bits and pieces. Mm, Going through the motions. Yeah, going through the motions, bits and pieces of Edgar Wright's. um, The idea of what Edgar Wright might have done with this, just kind of like rifled together and just like stitched together by Peyton Reed and I just I didn't really fuck with it I thought it, it felt like such a, a, a why are you so concerned with fucking with it it feels like such a a perfunctory film that you needed to have this film come out before Civil War in order to have Ant-Man in Civil War which he was much better in Civil War than he was in Ant-Man in my opinion yeah. he's, he's really good in small places oh yeah yeah he well, is oh and he's really good here yeah <laughs> Uh, I got I that it. pun. I thought it was a great pun. Oh, because yeah. he's a yes, I got it. White he... male. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, um, just fits into any role, you know, just like Scarlett Johansson. Um, but yeah, hey, now don't. <laughs> Do we want to go there? I don't think we so. have to go there at some point. We, we'll, Maybe not in this episode. Yeah, but we'll we will. Man, that response. Man, what a clapback! She just she is not. She's learned nothing. Anyway, um, I will say um, we're going here now. <laughs> yeah, not all the way, but I will say I don't really think it's her fault that she took a role. But she took. See, here's the thing. Oh that, no, we're not talking about whether she takes a role or not, which I we could talk about. Yeah, but it, it's the mostly it was that res- tone deaf response mm-hmm. from the PR person, who's her PR person. So unfortunately. I do say it represents that, her. Yeah, I was gonna say like right. it's, it's not like she's not compliant in that because right. she had to come out against what the PR person said, um, and for the PR person to say, "Well, ask so and so," which no offense, but if you're fucking... two of those people are accused of being being fucking sexual predators and rapists, oh, dude. I wasn't even gonna and it was, like, and it was say that. Yeah, I was gonna say. If you're digging as deep as Felicity Huffman in Trans America, yeah. you are just deep in that well of like just oh man. I the fact that somebody used that in a press release response in twenty eighteen right. is just hilarious to me. It I mean it's not hilarious, uh in the sense that this is a very serious issue mm-hmm. and I do not take it lightly. But also, Felicity Hoffman in Transamerica should not be held up as a excuse for your own fucking transphobic bullshit. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't at all. Anyway. It's it's absolutely fucking stupid. Anyway, oh, this film, um, I really enjoyed Ant-Man and the Wasp a lot more than Ant-Man just because it felt like its own film. It felt like something that was just... We we got the we, we got the preliminaries out of the way. I don't want to talk about his fucking origin story. I don't give a fuck about his origin story. What I care about is the wasp. The wasp is really cool. She kicks ass. I think well, she's kind of sidelined in this film, which is a little really weird. yeah. I don't know. And she has her own like like I'll get to that. In my, I'll get to that. In my initial thoughts. Yeah, but. I do feel like this film was much uh, better in tune with why they hired Paul Rudd to play a superhero. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think Civil War launched him into what he should be doing with this role mm-hmm. in general. To the point where that's why I genuinely was defending Ant-Man the first one. Which is not to say that I thought it was like a good movie. Because I gave it like two and a half. I mean, mm-hmm. I just thought it was there. But I still to this day don't think it's as bad as some of Marvel's lowest lows. Um, but I never Looking at you, Doctor Strange. Yeah, actually, yes. Um, <laughs> but I never once thought that the problem in that first movie was Paul Rudd, which is not to say that he was fully formed from that point. But 
it was clear that like Paul Rudd, I thought was a good choice for the role, but no one knew what to do with him just yet. And so after Civil War, this movie came along and capitalized on that. And I thought he was pretty much a great reminder where the reason why this worked is because I'm actually in complete opposition to you in that mm. I think he was not the main character in this movie. And I thought that that's why he was pretty great in this. Obviously, he's Ant-Man, so his name is on the billboard. Yeah. But he is not the driving force of this movie at all. No. No, no. Uh, I think that it's anymore? it's it's um, the Wasp and uh, Dr. Pym's, um, Dr. Pym's wife, who's played by Michelle Pfeiffer. So as soon as I saw her, I was like, oh! Oh, it's Catwoman. So I was, I really enjoyed that part. You're the only person who doesn't know Michelle Pfeiffer. I mean, I know Catwoman is one of her prominent yeah. roles, but She's at one point she was like Michelle Pfeiffer, like you know, and yeah, anyway. Catwoman. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Anyway, it's uh, a superhero film. I'm sorry, you can keep talking, meow. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed this film. I thought it was funny. I enjoyed the um. The action sequences, the villain or the antagonist as they were is like they're interesting. There's some parts about that that just don't work for me. Um, it seems like a Fast and the Furious villain. Yeah. We need to find a way to make this person a good character by the end of the film. Yeah. Who, um, uh, the ghost. ghost. Okay. So ghost. we're not talking about Juan Goggins. No. Okay. No. No. Um, and yeah, there's like it just it, it, it strikes the tone of being a very good to decent, um, straight down the middle Marvel film for me. This is the kind the of ghost thing. Ghost was never really a villain, though. Yeah, I'm she saying was she's an antagonist. The... Yeah, yeah, exactly. She talked about kidnapping his child, at but one she doesn't go through with it. Yeah, I'm just saying, just because you have an impulse, right. doesn't mean like if she would have been a villain had she had that talk with Lawrence Fishburne mm-hmm. and then was like. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go do that, though. The breadcrumbs and, are laid for her to be the main antagonist throughout the entire film. I thought... And her yeah. actions are not motivated by malice or megalomania, but rather by a, a desire to... Yeah, self-preservation and a desire to um, mitigate pain. A chronic pain that is that that is basically um, defines her entire existence. So, those are my initial thoughts. Let's move on to... You want me to go really quick? If you want to go really quickly. For opening thoughts, yeah. Sure. I had a pretty good time watching this. Yeah. I was, I think, weirdly enough, I may be the one who's the highest on the first movie at this table, which is not to say much at all. Um, But I didn't mind that first movie. I I didn't think it was very good, but to be honest, if I'm going to watch a boilerplate Marvel movie, I kind of would rather it be an Ant-Man than be a shit movie. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. But um I was very excited when I saw the trailer for this because I thought from the trailer it this looked like all of the wrongs had been corrected as to how to make what I would call a successful Ant Man movie. And I don't mean that in any way in relation to the comics. I'm not talking adaptation wise, but just how to make a movie starring Paul Rudd as Ant Man work from start to finish and give me laughs and at least enough action to continue from scene to scene. So I know we're on initial thoughts, but I yeah. want to make sure I don't forget to bring this up. Which was your initial thought on this being what Spider-Man Homecoming should have been. And I want to get your thoughts on where we ended up with this and if you still feel that way. I do. Okay. I thought this was a... Well, with one little caveat. But mm-hmm. in general, I thought this was a trifle in a good way like this was just a fun time with a very charismatic lead who uh now i know that's not necessarily all spider-man is but i do think right now that is all marvel is pushing for tom holland's depiction of spider-man um third act of homecoming notwithstanding so to speak yeah but in general, when Spider-Man shows up, he is there to quip one-liners mm-hmm. and to add a bit of levity, even when he's not joking, to the entire situation. And I think Scott Lang falls into that same situation, even though he's not a kid, because he is so out of his depth with regards to what these actual heroes are doing. He is just a person who is, who is A, a criminal, and B, enamored by uh, the fact that any of this is possible, let alone himself... Well, able to do it. And even, I mean, 
out of everybody in the MCU, he has the least amount of actual ability. Like, yeah. he just totally just lucked into this. I was just saying, he, <laughs> he doesn't even have those abilities unless he has his suit right. and whatnot. So, for sure. And I thought this was pretty much what I wanted out of something like Spider-Man Homecoming, which is I just wanted to laugh and see a charming person, which I do think Tom Holland is actually good as Spider-Man. Yeah. I just didn't really care for that movie in general. Right. Um, and I got that with this movie. And I pretty much think that the title is in no way Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, misleading. I actually thought this was a pretty much a co-billing because this whole movie revolves around getting Michelle Pfeiffer back, who's very wasted in this movie. But um, that in and of itself, it felt, I thought, very very sweetly uh, like this was the Pim's movie, you know, and Ant-Man was just there to help it go along and atone for what he did in the first movie. In fact, that's actually kind of a huge part of this movie that he is only allowed to do what he does because he's the only one who can uh, go back to the quantum He's realm. also a like weird surrogate in this film. Yes, and I'm going to get back to that mm-hmm. because that scene was actually one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. Although it's actually riffed off multiple times, not even just in the major scene that we see later yeah. in the film. Uh, so what do you mean by that? I'm curious. Like, he has the dream early on, okay. which kind of leads to him to right. be brought back into Where the fold. Become the reality. And then we see the actual scene play out. But also, the only reason why they really feel like, and I think you were already alluding to this, is because he went there and survived at the end of the first film. Yeah. Which also makes that an actual decent tie into the original film. Absolutely. In fact, if I were to rewatch that film, I'm not saying I would raise my star rating, but that scene of him in the quantum realm would not feel as pointless Mm -hmm. (laughs) as it did when you first watched it, uh, so to speak. But that that's how I'll end my opening thoughts, which is I'll say that the scene in which uh, is her name Janet? No. What's her name? The the Michelle Pfeiffer, the Pym. I forget what. Why did I say Janet? You were right, it's Janet. It is Janet. Yeah. Way okay. to go. Why did I say wow. Janet? It is How Janet. Did, All right. I never remember this shit. Yeah, what's going uh, The scene in which Janet's, uh, whatever, inhabits Paul Rudd's, I don't know, soul. Her spirit. That was yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, that was great inhabit Paul, Paul Rudd, by the yes. way. What I love about that scene is that that's kind of what I thought about this movie in a nutshell, which is that. That scene in and of itself, I don't think Paul Rudd is going for laughs. It is funny in and of itself but it's because earnest. it's such a absurd scene, but right. it is earnest. And it is so just adorable and mm-hmm. so sweet that by the time, like, like I was laughing at Paul Rudd's, uh, uh, what do you call it, affectations mm-hmm. in bringing Janet to life. But by the time he was actually putting his hand on um, Michael Douglas' hand, I was actually no longer laughing because I just thought it was adorable mm-hmm. and whatnot. And I can understand why. It I worked don't think both ways, though. Yeah, for that's sure. what I mean. If someone's mm-hmm. laughing at it, I totally understand that. But at the end of the day, I thought it worked because he was so committed to that bit that it worked as both, which is that it was such a hilarious breath of levity to... Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, pretty much the climax, yeah. and yet it also worked as kind of a capstone to those two characters' arcs. Mm-hmm. You know, is to be faced with the possibility that they could have the person they've been seeking, and yet to get to there, they have to go through this asshole they have to put up with, mm-hmm. and how he as not, an intermediary, yeah, exactly, and how he's not the worst person in the world because there is goodness in him. Yeah, and so I just thought that scene actually was pretty brilliant, mostly due to Rudd's acting in it. Um, because it just worked in so many different ways, and it worked for me because it worked for for Pim. Yeah, Pim was like the character himself, like was sort of invest was invested and and saw yeah. through that. So, and yeah. that it was so weird because for an entire franchise in which there's been twenty films, uh, and where Joss Whedon has directed two of them. <laughs> That was the moment where I felt like we were in a very Buffy-esque scenario yeah. where something was just kind of adorably quirky uh, that was kind of cheap laughs mixed with mixed with actual earnestness that I just loved. And I wish more of these Marvel films would actually kind of go along with this genre-specific uh, vibe where weird things can happen because these are comic book movies. They don't just need to be people blowing up buildings. There can be real stakes that even if they're not completely nuanced, but 
that they can have moments to breathe where they become these actual portraits of human beings connecting with each other, albeit in the most absurd science fiction ways. So, uh, I don't think it's a great movie, but I really did enjoy it from start to finish. I thought this was a very entertaining superhero movie. Um, I don't think this is the best MCU film. This is probably like on the cusp of in the top half of the 20 films that they've done for me, because I like a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, this really landed at a great time, which I was suspect about the timing of this film. But in reality, unfortunately, I hate to say this for Disney and for Marvel, but this film really landed at the perfect time because it comes off the seriousness of Infinity War and just brings kind of a delightful, fun summer movie to the to the theater. And um, I thought it was just perfectly timed. What I will say is that I don't feel like um, Evangeline Lilly's character of the Wasp mm-hmm. is sidelined completely, but actually, more than most other Marvel films, and there have been a lot of them mm-hmm. that have included multiple characters, this is one of the better ensemble films that I've seen from them in the past. And granted, I thought Infinity War did pretty much everything it could have done to include all of those fucking characters and give them all storylines. Yeah. But in this film, it weaved together so many actual arcs between characters, even if they're at full arcs. I mean, we get whole stories, even with Michael Pena's story. I never uh, felt a sense of whiplash, which I thought was pretty incredible because in yeah. a lot of Marvel movies, when you have even, in this case, I think there's only like three or four storylines total. Mm-hmm. But every time we bounce from one to another, it just felt so arbitrary. Whereas here, it felt like, yes, that would be the next scene we would check on, sure. check in on because that directly relates to the last previous action we saw. But like I was, I was, I was, I was getting at Michael Pena's character. Oh, you're good, man. Michael Pena's character, who I actually didn't love in the first film and didn't love in this film, but he has a purpose here. And he just continues on with his story. And he goes from point A to point B and has a purpose. Walton Goggins, who plays, at the end of the day, the antagonist. Um, All of his scenes feel totally worthwhile here. Even Lawrence Fishburne, who's kind of a throwaway character in this film, uh, has a purpose from start to finish. And I I just honestly love that this film has like 12 to 15 main characters, and they all really just have the right amount of screen time, and it's pretty wonderful. If there is another Ant-Man film, which I'm assuming there would be, like, I'm not maybe right Most away. Most of the characters, even the smaller characters, have ended up getting a trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would definitely hope to see Lawrence Fishburne's character again, because I think there's more potential there between him and Pym, just for some more comedy and more whatever, but more resolution, too. Yeah. I, I really did also appreciate that, None of the characters other than Walton Goggins, and even he, who's Walton Goggins, playing him, so it still feels a little bit lighthearted at some points. Um, but a lot of the characters here are not like hard villains, at least in the antagonist side. Like uh, Lawrence Fishburne and the Ghost, uh, like both of them have moments where they are heroes and moments when they are villains. And that's just a great way to go in your film when you are trying to tell an actual story and not just hitting all the stereotypes of what these characters are supposed to be. While I was watching it, I was like, Ghost, your problems could be easily solved if you just let Ant-Man and Pym and the Wasp do what the fuck they need to do. Because I feel like your solution is... Right along the same path and trajectory as theirs, and it's just like which they even try to tell her at one. Yeah, point. and then she just yeah. won't fucking listen. I'm just which like, sit the fuck is down. Also understandable from a character standpoint, right. as far as like she's the only one who has to deal with what she's you know right. dealing with. So that totally worked. And the other thing for me too is that even Walt Goggins' caricature as a quote unquote villain is also kind of another version of just being a trifle because. All he's really in it for is not even necessarily the money, even though that's what it is. But it's just so absurd. Like, he's not killing people left and right to try and get to it. He's just trying to steal the fucking lab. So he has the... You know, I mean, like, that in and of itself is just a hilarious little um, sci-fi, you know, caper. Walt 
Sorry, go ahead. Jordan. He's in the same vein as uh, what's his name from Iron Man Two, where really all he cares about is putting Whiplash. His... Not Whiplash. Oh, That's oh Sam Rockwell. Sam, Sam Rockwell's Rockwell. character of uh, Hammer or something, yeah. right? It's like he's he's just that. He's 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 this inept uh, guy who's trying to cut a corner into like the private sector by like stealing somebody else's shit. Yeah, and every time he's like doing this or trying to do this, he has no idea that he's up against something far bigger or smaller oh, <laughs> than he realizes. Phenomenal cosmic power, itty bitty living space. <laughs> yeah, but Walton Goggins, though. Has anyone I mean, seen a southern gentleman that, carrying that whole the way that whole scene played out? Uh, the fact that a that line was delivered. Has yeah. anyone seen a southern gentleman carrying a building? That is like literally the. Besides the building, but that is Walton Goggins in every role. Yeah, even when he's doing like nuanced work. <laughs> but but the fact that he follows up with something that someone stupid who's watching this would think of, yeah, like me, where he follows that up with, "How did he even have time to buy a ticket?" I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, yep, that's right. This that's is bullshit." Great. Yep, that was great. <laughs> yeah. Um. So overall, I mean, this isn't like. This is perfectly timed for me in terms of the MCU because I really did enjoy Thor Ragnarok, even though I thought that was trying too hard for what it was doing. And I obviously really liked Infinity War. It's my favorite film of the year so far. Um, I thought in terms of superheroing, that film was superheroing to the nth degree. Um, But this film just landed in a very wonderful spot of being an enjoyable superhero summer blockbuster that you know what it's just completely fine and there's nothing wrong with that like this is just a funny why can't they all just be this competent that's my big thing (laughs) i'm with you like this is funny and it has good action sequences it has uh one thing i will say that's definitely a downgrade is that all of the great uh, set pieces that involved going from big to small to big were, for the most part, in the trailer, which I thought was pretty disappointing. Yeah, I um, gotta push that. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, that's a big part of the storyline. Um, so, I mean, I, they're still enjoyable, and like years down the road, it won't matter that it was right. in the trailer. But that's Upon a big verse viewing. Yeah, I mean, that's a big like... part of what they should be doing because that's what this character should bring to your film and i mean there are great things in the first film that weren't in the trailer like the thomas the tank thing i thought was pretty good that wasn't a trailer that was one of the iconic moments was it was really the yeah, moment when uh, there you yeah. go no, i'm just saying <laughs> fortunately just marvel, my point. marvel yeah. loves to show uh especially when they don't have confidence in a project like <laughs> avengers they will kind of be a little more you know Strict about they'll go back and it. digitally alter scenes so that they can't spoil things in the actual film itself. But like projects like Ant Man and Doctor Strange, I feel like they're I'm, just like I know, yeah. just put it on the screen. Yeah, which is disappointing because I feel like um, the randomness of the Pez moment would have been great if it wasn't yeah. spoiled by the trailer. Yeah, or so. like the salt and pepper shaker mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. Um. So I will that. say that that's definitely a downgrade for me. Is that I was. Fine with them in the trailer originally because I thought there was going to be more of that. But when there wasn't, I was like, fuck, what are we doing here with that? <laughs> but that's such a minor thing in this film that was just enjoyable to me. Yep. So I'll open it up for uh, general talks, even though we've already been doing that for the I'll most part. Say, we're <laughs> pretty much covering it. Pretty much. Um, I loved Michael Pena doing what I call uh, a riff on drunk history. Was that? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, Comedy Central. Yeah. The, uh, have you ever seen that show? Alec? No. Drunk History is a wonderful show uh, by, I think his name is Derek Waters, where he finds celebrities, mostly comedians, or random people. He goes to Originally like, even, uh, I think, actual historians. I was going to say, actual yeah. people from a town. So he it's a, not a reality show, like reality show, but mm-hmm. it's not a fictional show. He goes to a town, finds people in a bar that are from that area and knows some kind of story about the town. So, like, you know, like, he goes to a Boston bar. Okay. And somebody will have, like, a good story about, like, you know, Paul Revere that you may never have heard before. Hmm. And he takes them back to their house, and he lets them, and it makes them, so to speak, keep drinking while they tell a story. Hmm. 
And it's always hilarious because they never get drunk enough where they can't tell the story, but they're so drunk to the point where their story is very colorful in the way that they'll mix crude language with hilarious, likely, you know, astute, historical, whatever. But while they are talking, um, actual actors, like actors you know from a billion things, Mm. are recreating the story they're telling, including lip-syncing every word they say, no matter what. Okay. So Michael Pena. I know Pena's, what scene you're talking about. Yes, now. Michael yeah. Pena's scene where he's on the not true serum. Uh, I was like, oh, we're doing drunk history because that felt like, in a good way, it felt very uh, trendy in that aspect. Yeah, I thought that scene was delightful, mm-hmm. um, especially the uh, the payoff to that at the end of the movie when he's like, it is true serum. Um, I thought that was great. Um, so you were talking about the Wasp and that this being her film and all. Yeah. Obviously, I, I agree with the fact that that storyline comes full circle when they finally rescue Janet in the in the ending. But at the same time, I feel like although she's a big part of this film, I feel like she is just another character in this film. Which, again, I was always mentioning, this is much more of an ensemble film than say, I thought it was going to be. She's another character in the same sense that Hank Pym is another character. Mm-hmm. But genuinely, I feel like this movie could be called The Pims. Like... This is about um, a father-daughter doing everything that they can. Now, I know it's not told, like, it's not anchored from their perspective. Like, we're following Ant-Man unless he meets up with them, so to speak. But the driving narrative here is completely contingent on what they want out of it. Because Ant-Man is, or I should say Scott. Scott is only going along with this because he's trying to atone for what he's done. Mm. And actually, I felt that that was kind of refreshing, like that it wasn't him uh, with an arc of like trying to A, save the world or B, right one of his own wrongs, because he ends up doing that almost incidentally with his own daughter, Mm. um, Mm. who is trying to teach him that like he can be a hero if he just, you know, keeps it in check and actually needs a partner. And I'm saying that's a minor whatever. I'm not saying that that was such a well-drawn thing, but it was a nice little bow around what I thought was the actual narrative, which is the Pims trying to reconnect with uh, Janet, which for me totally worked as far as it didn't have to be as developed as it was because that was also pretty much hinted at throughout the entire first movie. Like Mm -hmm. that whole first movie even though they're not like that's not the driving force of the plot, that's the driving force of lo- of a lot of the ballets between those two characters. So, I don't know. I I thought this was more about Michael Douglas and uh, Evangeline Lilly mm-hmm. uh, than it was about Ant Man, and I thought he was just along for the ride, which is basically he how basi- Ant Man should be. He basically is. Like I, while you were talking about this, I was like straining. It's like. How the fuck does he even get involved in this shit again? It's like no, it's like Evangeline, Lily, and and well, Janet first makes a connection with him because of the quantum realm. And then he so calls even him. that, yes, but I'm just saying, even that happens. is technically a Pym moment yeah. because yeah. whatever. And because he calls them after that, it's them who actually enters his life, mm-hmm. kidnaps so, him, so to speak. This is random. It has yeah. nothing to do with this film. But I said this on the first Ant-Man episode that we did, and mm-hmm. I'm going to say it again. Okay. You're Every- really attracted to ants. Ants. No. Oh. Um, oh, that was me. I will say, every time that Michael Douglas says Scott, I can't help but think of Behind the Candelabra. And it, Scott. Scott. He says it just like that, he too, does. and it's really kind of weird. It must be muscle memory. <laughs> Have you ever seen that film, Tucson? No, I have not. Oh, we should watch that. I I did watch uh, the the Vanity Fair video where Michael Douglas like goes for his entire career, which was very That's interesting. Very much different than what I, we're I talking know, about. I know, but it's just like it, it's he's been at this for you a very very do. long time. All right, continue on. Ant Man, Ant Man, and the Wasp. Yeah, um, the nope. Quantum Realm looks cool. Yeah, I actually thought it looked fine. I I saw a lot of complaints about it that it looked really boring, but this is a fucking Marvel movie. Like, it's not going to be, and I know none of us are really too high on it, but it's not going to be like annihilation levels of like 
mysterious yeah. and abstract is you know bum-bum-bum. whatever yeah it's not gonna be that so i appreciated that it was colorful and that it looked pretty and I, that I, I thought as michael douglas got deeper into it as he was going yeah. down it got like more f- and more so i agree and that's why because at first i was like oh it's it's sea world like oh. i was just like i don't whatever but then when i realized that that wasn't actually the end of it i'm like oh no i get the you know the terragrades the i think they're also called water bears i thought that was really cool and i i was okay with it once i realized that that was not the extent of it mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah. so we've hit on a lot of this film mm-hmm. and we're actually going to need to wrap it up just because we're on a little bit of a time yeah. crunch oh, here. yeah let's do it because we've been drinking and we have a movie what? to go to i'm sorry as if the audience didn't know that already but yeah. before we get to final ratings i want to talk about the first uh or the mid-credit scene yeah. Because that's what a lot of people want to mention about this film. And I yeah. feel like that was somewhat of a necessity here. Yeah. Because we have to tie this all together. But I've changed my opinion on mm. what I think it should have been. Oh, but wait, I, I told you about this in the parking lot after the film. I forgot. That's fine. I haven't heard this. Please tell more. Okay. So originally, I thought it would have been great. Because if you haven't seen the film and you're listening to this, that sucks. Um, but Hank Pym and Hope Van Dien and Janet Van Dien all turn into ash and float away. Yeah, they all go back to their home planet. Well, Ant-Man is in the quantum realm, yep. so he's, for the most part, trapped there. Uh, and that's pretty much the ending of, of that story in the uh, mid credit scene that we get. Or is it the beginning of another? Yeah, it makes sense. What if he ends up in the soul Anywho, uh, so I will say about that. Originally, I felt like it should have just been Hank Pym left. Like he should have lived because then it would have been making sense that he would have lost his wife and his daughter after. Because I think Hank Pym's kind of an asshole. But after more consideration, I think thematically it would have been a better story if just Janet had gone away, and I think that would have been a very interesting moment. Eh. This isn't like torture porn. I mean, okay. Um, I think it would have led to a more intriguing plot line in the next well, We're not going to follow this up emotionally. We're only going to... Are you sure we're not oh, going absolutely. to? We're only following this up uh, plot-wise. I mean, okay. that's why the three of them disappeared. Yeah. I thought this was one of the best credit scene Marvel's ever done because okay. of the way that it A stood apart from the film before it like it wasn't like what should have been the last scene so it wasn't some kind of weird cop out where they just excise it from the movie and then put it you know in the middle of the credits just to say that they had a but credit is, scene but it is totally separate from the actual film that we've seen it is yeah. and yeah. yet it is a also coda. a perfect way to tease something or not even something to tease where this character is going to be in a starting position for the next, you know, stage, which essentially we assume is Avengers Two, because so many credit scenes in the past, Marvel, like even look at this year, uh, like Jesus Christ, the one in Black Panther, and I, I like that movie, but uh, Bucky walking out of the hut is one of the fucking stupidest things ever. <laughs> Because we already know he's there. We already know he's going to be in Avengers because it's just bet with, that's what makes sense. Right. So the idea that an end credit scene only exists to feed into what we already assume will happen is fucking stupid. Wait mm-hmm. a minute. Especially just to show us. Wait a minute. I'm thinking back on that. Are you? That's too bad. Where the fuck was he during the whole coup? He, he was sleeping. Wait, what are you talking about the coup? In Black Panther? Yeah, in Black Panther. Yeah, he, he was just sleeping in the Where the fuck the hut. was he? He didn't wake so, up until that end and credit that's, scene. And that is something I was going to mention about the Ant-Man end credit scene. Okay. Is that, so where were all they at during all the events of the Avengers Infinity yeah, War? Yeah, there's, well, like, there's the, the, the giant the floating thing. donut yeah. ship in New York, and I'm yeah. like, you don't see that shit? Like, wait, a, but, but wait, wait, where were they all during the events of what? Of Infinity War. Like, why weren't was, they, like, helping to fight during that? To be fair, it's fucking Ant-Man. 
It's fucking Ant-Man. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no. I know that sounds like it's flippant, for, but I also for, think that that's actually... Forget pretty, it, Jack. It's Ant-Man. <laughs> I just think that's actually a pretty reasonable explanation. This is not but, like a... This is a person who's a criminal who is on house arrest who has a four-year-old daughter. No, seriously. Ant-Man takes Tell place me on the any of the West other, Coast, right? Besides like, besides, like, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Shut up. Hawkeye. Besides any of the other ones, like, tell me anybody who has any meaningful connections to family members that are not. So, okay. this is really random, yeah. and I did not mean to cut you off, so I'm no, super fine. sorry. I don't give a shit about these movies. <laughs> sure you don't. Avengers 4 should honestly start. What the fuck is Avengers 4? It's the next movie. Oh, oh god damn. <laughs> There's been four of these. Yeah. <laughs> okay, continue. Yeah. It should start with Clint Barton, which is Hawkeye. In his house. Thank you for telling me that because I didn't know that. Actually, good. <laughs> his whole family turns into ash. That's Linda Cardellini, right? Yes, yes, and their children turn into ash, and he goes and like packs up his gear and leaves, and that should be the start of it. And he moves because to Australia of, because of. <laughs> was he in Infinity War? No, that's right. See, that's why I say it would be great yeah. because everybody made a big stink about him not being in there. So it should be a fuck you, you to everybody what? being like, here he is. Would it be great if that happened exactly as you described? Mm-hmm. But after they turn to Ash, he just kind of like sweeps them into like an urn, <laughs> and then the whole movie he just carries that around with him. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll fight, but he's still holding that the whole time. Um, My family, 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 family. We should get into final rating. We should. Yes, we should. Okay, okay. So I'll go first. Okay, I give this three and a half out of five. Okay, I think this is a quite good film. And I, um, I'm just happy that it arrived where it was because I think this film was perfectly placed in the MCU, which I cannot say for all the other films that they've done. Yeah. So um, I had my doubts, but this turned out really well. And uh, I'm just happy that it was here because it was a very enjoyable film in a summer that's had some good, some bad. But this was definitely uh, quite the well-placed film uh, in this year's showings. So three and a half out of five for me for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. I give this a three out of five just because I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was a a competent film, whereas like the previous Ant-Man film I felt was very perfunctory, as I said before, and it's enough to be able to stand on its own. And I, you know, I don't even mind uh, how segmented the, uh, the, post-credit coda scene is like it, it i i like that it exists and it's able to tie back to this larger narrative that you know uh, we're all aware of i remember when we did our infinity war episode just thinking as like who the fuck cares about ant-man and it's like and sure enough like as, as, as surprised as i am as like to say this like i kind of do i kind of care about these characters now and i was like and, and that's something that i never expected to to really have like before going into this film coming off of like the original Ant-Man. So I guess this film did its job. So yeah, three out of five. Right on. Yeah. I got to say Marvel is one of the most daring companies I know because to follow up Black Panther with a movie circled around a character like Ant-Man as he joins forces with a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant um, is just one of the craziest things I've ever seen in a blockbuster film. What, Dusan? Keep on sniping my jokes. When did you make that joke? I said that right before we started recording. Do you remember that? You have two people who say that you do. we do not. Oh, remember. fuck off. Maybe I will. C- continue on. I have a musket. I was going to say, and he wants to fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed this film. I thought it was funny. I thought it was cute. I thought Paul Rudd was pretty great. I uh, thought Michelle Pfeiffer was wasted, so maybe there's more of her to come. And honestly, I thought uh, that this was kind of what I want from Marvel movies that are not starring the Avengers. Like, it's not that I don't want to take them seriously, but it's so hard for me to do that because of the way that they're written that I just think they should err on the safe side of frivolity um, unless they are truly going to commit to something stark <laughs> and serious. So I would say that... What? 
<laughs> I would say that I, I enjoy this film, and everybody from even like Walton Goggins, who is very much, I would say, underutilized here, who's still giving it his all um, to the point where that I love the fact that this film knows exactly what it is, and that's completely emblematic in that line that we referenced earlier with him saying, you know, has anyone seen a Southern gentleman? <laughs> because this movie is only trying to do one thing, which is to entertain, and it will stop at nothing to do that, and that's all I want from these movies. So even if I don't think it's like a great movie, I just wish there were more Marvel movies like it, personally. So I give it three out of five. Right on. So out there in podcasting land, if you have any thoughts on this film, feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com, or you can try to find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow. So a film that came out um, technically late last year, but is really a 2018 film that everybody's uh, saying that mm -hmm, that played at Sundance and also I think it was at Cannes. Yeah, I think so. sounds right. Uh, that myself and Nick really wanted to see in the theater, but really never came around here. So it was at Evanston, I think, for like seven days, <sighs> which, if anyone's listening, is like an hour away from us. So we always uh, weigh the options of actually going. to yeah, and it's usually we only go if there's two films we really want to see. So we'll make a meal out of it. I was gonna else. say you you got to make it count yeah. at that point. Um, so, anyways, the film we're talking about is the uh, Joe Quinn Uncle Phoenix. Drew. <laughs> I still love. I can't remember what the uh, the girl's name was. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, what are you talking we about? We went to a Roy university. We were in college, and <laughs> yes. do you remember that? <laughs> do you remember aware. when you were in the Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Do you remember? Yeah. Anyways, uh, we were in the uh, the class where we did television shows, mm -hmm. and there was the one girl who was kind of an airhead who was pronouncing lots of names wrong, and she referred. <laughs> I don't want to name drop anybody. Yeah, any that's that's pretty good. Anyways, she referred to Joaquin Phoenix as Joe Quinn Phoenix, and it was, I had to, <laughs> yes, there it is. I, <laughs> yes. I laughed audibly. What class was this? This was, um. Was it a. It was the television and uh, audio. I don't remember taking a television class. Oh, you mean when we, like, filmed the news yes. story? and all? So yeah. it was the Dr. Neller class. It was the I Neller class uh, senior year. Interesting. Anyways, it was such a random blow-off class. But uh, oh, she was reading the news. Who. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, again, I don't want to. That's fine. We'll, 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 we'll talk we'll about talk it later. About it. Anyways, Joe Quinn Phoenix was who she claimed he was, which is great. I mean, it's not the furthest you could go. No, but end. it was the fact that she did it with such confidence yeah. uh, that made it that great. Anyways, The Walking Only Phoenix... white people. <laughs> the Walking Phoenix film, You Were Never Really Here, will be the film we'll be talking about coming up next week. So, from Nick Cheney to Son Egan, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for joining us here on Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time. <laughs>